0: This is Undisciplined. I'm Matthew LeBlanc. If you listen to this show much, really if you've listened to it at all, you might have noticed that I speak with a lisp. And sometimes I control it, and a lot of times I don't. And I'm really not embarrassed by this. All things being equal, I suppose I wish I didn't so often say things like thick and tired when what I mean to say is sick and tired, but it's really not a big deal. I've been teased about it, too, and mostly that's also okay, because while teasing can be hurtful when it's done with malice, it's also often playful. It's something that's done between people who are actually fond of one another. And if you think of it, this is sort of evolutionarily strange. This is a feature closely related to two other features, malice and fondness, that really are nothing alike. Sasha Winkler was part of a team of researchers who wanted to better understand the evolutionary roots of teasing. That team's paper was recently published in the Royal Society Journal Biology Letters from the Department of Anthropology at UCLA. Sasha Winkler, welcome.
1: Hi, thanks for having me. I think
0: to start this conversation, we need to get at what teasing is because... You know, and I'd never really thought about this before until I read your paper, but we all sort of know what teasing is, but it's also hard to define. So actually to set this up, I wanted to ask you about something that happened back in April when Tiger King was all the rage on Netflix and a painting showed up in your Twitter feed. Can you tell me the story about the Tiger King
1: painting? Oh, yeah. So this is a funny story. Um, It's a watercolor that I made actually for my husband. It just says, sorry, I watched Tiger King without you, I think is what it says. And yeah, I mean, I guess it's pretty self-explanatory, but it was the beginning of quarantine and we were doing things like making watercolors and watching Tiger King. And then I I made a faux pas of watching an episode without him. So he got (laughs) a little annoyed at me. So I had to make a, you know, apology watercolor. But yeah, it's definitely tongue in cheek.
0: This is sort of a sorry, not sorry sort of deal, right? You were teasing your partner. It's it's sort of mean to watch a show that they want to watch without them. But it's sort of playful to bring it up, especially if you make them a watercolor. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. So does this get at what playful teasing is when we say something or do something that isn't quite true or isn't quite fair, or it isn't quite kind, but we do it in a way in which the subtext is fondness as opposed to maliciousness?
1: Yeah, I think one of the things we talk about in our paper is how teasing is sort of on the border between play and aggression. And if, yeah, if the context is playful, then you can sometimes get away with behaviors that could be otherwise aggressive in other contexts.
0: You study primate social behavior and and actually I don't I don't want to segue too far away from teasing, but this is a really cool and fun field of study. How did you get into this area of science?
1: It is super interesting. I really like it. I first started so I'm a graduate student now at UCLA. I first started getting interested in primate behavior as an undergraduate at Pomona College and I was studying linguistics and cognitive science there and I got very interested in questions about why does it seem like language is so unique to humans and is that the thing that sets us apart from all other their animals? And since then I've been interested in various social behaviors of primates and apes but that's sort of how I got started is this question about language and That seems like such a difference between us and animals. But the more research you read, the more you find, you know, some of those lines are blurred about communication and what is language. And so that's what first got me interested in that.
0: When did it occur to you and your teammates that teasing was sort of this untapped area of of one of these connections, of these things you were talking about, like connections between humans and other apes?
1: I think the first start of this project was actually my advisor, um, Dr. Cartmill at UCLA. She saw a lot of these instances that was calling teasing in her research on orangutans. So actually one of the examples in our paper is these two orangutans and one of them is appears to be teasing the other one by offering a stick and then as soon as the other orangutan reaches toward the stick, the first one, you know, draws it back. It's sort of like when you go for a handshake and then when the other person reaches for your hand, you go too slow. So it was this playful interaction. They both seem to be enjoying it. It wasn't tense. They seem, you know, very relaxed. But it's such an interesting type of interaction, we think, because it seems very cognitively complex. On both sides, both the teaser and the target of the teasing need to make complicated judgments about each other's expectations and intentions and take the context in mind also.
0: You know, a lot of scientists are, you know, always like really forcing themselves to avoid anthropomorphization, right? Avoid ascribing human characteristics to animals. But your research group is actually really looking for these as clues to things that are similar between us and, and our ape relatives.
1: Yeah, I mean, we do have to be careful in science that we don't just assume things.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: th- some of the easiest things to assume are tend to anthropomorphize animals. You know, it's easier. Right, the, the um, dog is
0: smiling and so it's happy.
1: Yeah, exactly. So we, we do have to be really careful about that um when we're doing research. But at the same time there's, you know, a bit sometimes of a f- too much of a fear of anthropomorphizing that can get in the way of you seeing something clearly, um, and I think there's also been more interest recently in finding those behaviors that there's evolutionary continuity between humans and other animals. It's not like we have you know our own set of behaviors that aren't existent in other animals. So we're interested in finding those continuities without falling into that trap of anthropomorphizing. Like you said, your dog is smiling because they're happy.
0: Among these continuities, you've written about three different ways that apes seem to tease, and also that we see in human infants as well, and and I guess in human adults too, quite frequently. I wanted to touch on each of these ways. You've already started with the idea of making an offer and taking it away, handing a stick and taking it away. This is a
1: common behavior with apes? And do we see it? outside of orangutans? Yeah, so we think it's common, but there hasn't been a lot of systematic study of it. So that's part of the reason for writing this paper is to argue for at least we, when we look at the literature, there's a lot of examples and anecdotes, but hasn't really had as much attention as it deserves. So with offer and withdrawal, we think that it occurs in orangutans and probably bonobos, probably other great apes. And, um, you know, we detail a lot of examples of things that seem like that in the literature, at least in the great apes. But, yeah, I think it needs more study to be sure.
0: And this is definitely, I mean, this is one of the all time great teases, right? Hey, do you want this? Do you want this? uh, Do you want this? Do you want this? Like like this very common human tease as well.
1: Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, the reason we're interested in, we have three types of teasing, basically, that we were most interested in because they've been found in infants, and not only just infants, but it's infants before they learn how to talk. So if these types of teasing don't even require language in humans, those are like good things to look at in our close relatives, because we know that, I mean, so much of teasing in humans is verbal teasing, you know, poking fun at someone for the way they speak, for example, like you said, and using words to tease. But we were more interested in can we compare these nonverbal types of teasing?
0: You're listening to Undisciplined. We'll be back in a moment. Stay tuned. This is Matthew LaPlante. I'm the founder and host of Utah Public Radio's research themed program, Undisciplined, and I work with an amazing producer, Naomi Ward, whose work on our program is funded with the support of underwriting from one of UPR's many sponsors. A lot of these sponsors are local businesses and They've made a commitment to helping support the journalism and programming you hear every day on UPR. You can thank them by supporting them. You can find a list of sponsors at upr.org underwriting. You're listening to Undisciplined on Utah Public Radio. I'm Matthew LaPlante, and today we're talking about the evolution of playful teasing with Sasha Winkler. So, let's talk about one of these other nonverbal types of teasing. There's provocative noncompliance and there's a great example of this in the study in in the paper that you wrote from the famous ape Coco, who died a few years ago but had been taught to use sign language to communicate with her caretakers. Can you describe this example?
1: Yeah, so the example that we use in our paper is about Coco who was trained to use sign language. And actually, I used to work with Coco before she passed away. I was a caregiver at the Gorilla Foundation where she was one of two gorillas there. So I know Coco personally. Wow. (laughs) But yeah, the examples from Coco are interesting because we're looking for, again, provocative noncompliance, which is just a fancy way of saying refusing to do something on purpose or refusing to do an expected behavior for the purpose of teasing. Right, So Coco was trained to sign words, and um, her caregivers believed that she would intentionally sign the wrong answer to questions. And when she did this, there's descriptions of her using a play face, which is sort of like a sign of play in apes, somewhat uh, related to laughter. So yeah, she would intentionally give the wrong answers with the play face. One of the examples is, what does Penny use to clean your teeth? Penny was her caregiver and coco signed foot but penny was reasonably confident that she knew the word was toothbrush <laughs> so that was the example from our paper but um, she was but just it, being
0: she was just being silly and and playful and sort of willfully defiant but not in a angry grill away
1: yeah yeah i mean coco was very playful we do have to exercise some caution when we're thinking about coco just because it's always been a bit unclear what her training history was and Again, like we talked about, the risk of anthropomorphizing is strong in these like, language-trained apes because they're you know, using human words. So we do need like, more rigorous experiments, I think, to confirm this. But it's a really interesting like, anecdotes that we found about Coco intentionally doing the wrong sign, seemingly, and then in a playful way, exactly.
0: Let's talk about the third way that you and your team describe as one of the ways that apes like humans engage in playful teasing. This is disruption.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, so disrupting others' activities is the third category. And this is actually really, I think, going to be difficult to study in apes, just because it's hard to know when you're disrupting others' activities playfully or because you want to do something else. But you know, you can think in humans, like a lot of infants, you know, if you're playing with blocks, I'll come over and knock your blocks down. It's not necessarily mean, but it is we think you know a type of playful teasing and also has been described that way in, in preverbal infants. But yeah, it is difficult to to find these examples in non humans.
0: As you've been thinking about trying to find these examples, trying to find more instances of these examples in non-humans, do you find yourself thinking back to your time working with Coco and pulling out instances where you go, oh my gosh, I wonder if she was teasing. I wonder if she was engaged in that sort of play.
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, I even had moments like that when I did work at the Gorilla Foundation interacting with Coco where I was curious what was actually going on. And it's too bad that we couldn't do some more rigorous research there to figure out exactly whether she was teasing and I mean, a lot of questions. But um, yeah, I, I definitely draw on that a lot in my research. I also um, worked for almost three years at a primate center at UC Davis, the McCowan lab. And I draw a lot on my time there. Those weren't apes. And, you know, I wasn't necessarily looking for teasing. I was mostly studying social network dynamics and conflict. But I think a lot about the rhesus macaques that I watched there mm-hmm. because they played a lot. And so, I, you know, sometimes when they weren't fighting, I would just, you know, watch the infants play. And so I definitely draw on my experiences there a lot for my research.
0: This paper is about apes, but it sounds like your suspicion, at least, is that this is a behavior that extends deeper and wider across the primate family.
1: Yeah, again, there's not a lot of evidence, but I think the question is open whether other non human animals playfully tease each other. I mean, it's also some features of play in monkeys and also like other mammals have some elements that might be similar to teasing. But the first step is just looking at the great apes because they're our closest living relatives.
0: Because there is some evidence of this behavior within the great apes, you suspect that teasing is phylogenetically old, meaning it's not a behavior that developed independently among the species that do it, but it likely existed in a common ancestor. Why do you think this attribute came to be? And and why has it lasted so long? Especially since it's, you know, just to put it mildly, it's a, it's a quirky attribute.
1: <laughs> yeah, it is quirky. And exactly like you said, we do think if we can find it in these great apes, then it is likely that it existed in our last common ancestor with great apes, and is maybe an evolutionary precursor to humor. And As to your question of why it evolved, I mean, we're not totally sure, but I think we talk about in the paper, something that I'm interested in is that teasing seems to be a way to play with others' minds, much like you could play with an object. You know, you might play with a ball to figure out what does the ball do when I drop it and how does gravity work and what happens if I throw it really fast or really slow? You play with an object to learn about its properties. And maybe you can also play with others' minds to discover how their minds work. Teasing seems to be a way to play with expectations, you know, with the offer and withdrawal, you expect that they're going to reach for it. And so you're playing with that aspect of, and hopefully like some discovery about how other minds work through that play.
0: Well, and I think there's a there's an important word in that part of the study, right, that one possible explanation is that playful teasing constitutes a safe domain in which humans and apes can explore social rules and boundaries. The risks of playful teasing are relatively low.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, in some way, it's like play fighting in animals, too. You know, it's a way to test out your fighting ability without getting into a full-blown battle that could really injure you. Which, in
0: apes, is really, I mean, these are incredibly powerful organisms. I mean, like an ape could accidentally hurt another ape very easily if things got out of hand, right?
1: Yeah. yeah. so play is an interesting domain because you can you can sort of practice things that you wouldn't otherwise get away with unless you both have the understanding that it's play. So playful teasing might also be, similar and rather than you know you're playing testing like the physical boundaries you know how hard can I bite (laughs) this other ape it could be uh, a testing of those cognitive aspects expectations and intentions and predicting behavior of others.
0: You're listening to Undisciplined we'll be back in a moment stay tuned. This is Matthew LaPlante. I'm the founder and host of Undisciplined on Utah Public Radio. And I recently discovered a really great way to donate to the station that hosts our weekly program. I had a car in my garage and it was time to find a new home for it. So I just went to upr.careasy.org and I punched in my info. And a couple of weeks later, a nice guy came and towed the car away. And now I'm trying to figure out what to do with all that space in my garage. Donating in this way is really easy. Just go to uprc You're listening to Undisciplined on Utah Public Radio. I'm Matthew LaPlante, and today we're talking about the evolution of playful teasing with Sasha Winkler. There's a really common theme in science fiction. Almost everybody can probably think of an example. It's, it's this alien who is you know, pretty human, but doesn't get humor. And and in particular, really has a hard time grasping the point of playful teasing. This sort of highlights how very human we think this characteristic is, but also it's sort of an acknowledgement of how very strange it is also, how much it doesn't, you know, immediately make sense. Have you come to understand this part of us as, as, one of the things that really makes us a little bit, in, a little bit interesting as a species or, <laughs> or have you, when you, as you've noticed this in other species, have you thought about it, seeing it in the apes and, and suspected that you might see it in other primates and other non-human animals? Have you started to think that this isn't such a, a unique thing and maybe it's not so important to making us who we are?
1: Yeah, I think there's always a search for what makes humans so unique, right? Like, we're the most successful species by a lot of measures on the planet. And, you know, you can look out your window and see all these human created buildings and roads and things like that, which is pretty incredible. So in evolutionary science, there's always the big looming question of why we think that is and why natural selection gave us some abilities maybe that don't exist in other animals. I'm not sure that teasing is is that key. I mean everyone's always looking for the key and definitely some people have argued that teasing is only happens in humans. But here we find that there's examples in the great apes, the same types of behaviors, same types of teasing behaviors that we see in human infants. So yeah, I don't think teasing is the is the <laughs> magic key, but um, I mean, definitely, like I was saying before, very interested in uh, language. It seems like when language interacts with things like play and teasing, you get uh, verbal teasing. That doesn't probably exist in other animals that we know of. You said
0: earlier you got into this because you were curious about what makes humans human? Do you have a suspicion? You mentioned magic keys. Do you? Is it language? Is it what? What do you think it is from an evolutionary anthropological standpoint?
1: <laughs> oh boy, um, <laughs> that's a big question. Uh, you know, I've taken like graduate classes that we just talk about that for like three hours every week. Um...
0: That sounds like a great class, by the way. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of things like tool use and large brains that seem important for human evolution, also our cooperative breeding, you know, we we help raise each other's infants, allomothering is what it's called. (laughs) Um, So there's a lot of things and there's a lot of debate. I mean, like heated debate in our field about what makes humans human. But Again, I always come back to, I think, the importance of language and you need to study that more to figure out what animal communication is really, how is that different or similar to human language.
0: As you immerse yourself in this topic, in the topic of teasing, I wonder if you started to see what you were doing, both giving and receiving acts of teasing if you if you started to see that in different ways
1: yeah I mean I definitely have been looking for more instances of teasing in my daily life and I think whenever I start studying a new topic it really changes you know what I notice in my daily life and I I just got a new puppy and so I'm very interested in the ways that she's learning about the world learning about other dogs learning through play that's been really fun way to sort of combine my personal and school work.
0: Does that make it hard, though, to put it away at the end of the day? I mean, when you study, when you study the things that you study, um, which are so innately connected to humanity and you are a human being, does it make it difficult to, at the end of the day, just go like, "Okay, I'm done. I'm just going to like check out now, because it seems to me you might constantly be on the watch
1: (laughs) yeah i mean i think i'm just the type of person who who really likes to observe behavior both in people and in primates (laughs) and in other animals so to me it doesn't seem like such a chore I, i really enjoy thinking about these things and i do enjoy thinking about them in you know my daily life too so it doesn't feel like i'm taking work home with me necessarily
0: how did your husband respond to the tiger watercolor
1: <laughs> i think he was amused and a little bit annoyed <laughs>
0: <laughs> so you were you were testing the boundaries you right of your relationship i take it it worked out you, did you guys watch the rest of tiger king together
1: <laughs> yes, we did. We did. I think I had to re-watch some episodes with him. <laughs> Honestly, it's like, you know when the Netflix just keeps rolling, it's hard to tell. <laughs> but I, whatever I watched without him, I had to re-watch with him.
0: That's Sasha Winkler. <laughs> she studies primate social behavior at UCLA, and she was a co-author on a recent paper on the evolutionary roots of playful teasing... It was published in the Royal Society Journal, Biology Letters. Sasha, you are absolutely awful.
1: (laughs) Thanks so much.
0: Undisciplined is a production of Utah Public Radio, and if you happen to live in Utah, you can listen to us every Thursday at 10.30 a.m. on UPR. If you miss us then, you can listen to every episode on Undisciplined wherever you get your podcast. Our producer is Naomi Ward. Our associate producer is Mia Dora. Our theme music is Little Idea by Benjamin Tissot. And I'm Matthew LaPlante. Thanks for listening. Now go have big ideas.